My scripture this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Uh, if you would like to follow along as I read aloud, it's found in your few Bibles in the Hebrew Bible section on page 14. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed to the ground. It really says kneeled to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quick, quickly three measures of choice flour needed and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and prepared it and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age. It, it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself. After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, oh, yes, you did laugh. There ends the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. This is a really weird passage of scripture. I think it's important that you have an image in your mind of what it really, what was taking place here. You have Abraham, who is the uh, quintessential person about bringing in hospitality in the ways of Torah. Now, I want to help you out with this and this understanding. In Torah, there are, this is focusing in specifically on the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There are 613 commands to focus in on the 10, right? Because humans need to make it more complicated. So there are 613 commands in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In all of those, the majority of them are focused in on hospitality. But not your understanding of hospitality. Not when you know somebody's coming to your house and you go to Sam's and you buy some pinwheels and maybe make some punch or have something nice for them when they come to the house. Hospitality had a whole different meaning to them as it should have at that time. Hospitality meant that when somebody came to your house, your job was to keep them safe. 
I want you to really understand this. When they came into your home, strangers, you welcomed them into your home and you protected them from enemies, from the elements, so much so that the very first thing you do is you wash their feet so that they know they are in a safe place. Then you feed them. And hospitality at that time meant that you fed them because they had all been on a long journey. And you fed them whatever you had the best of because that's what God did for you. This is the Torah-based understanding of hospitality. You felt and found sanctuary in a stranger's home. And in that place, they kept you safe from harm. And in that place, they made you feel so safe that they washed your feet, they gave you a place to sleep, and they shielded you from the elements, and they made sure that you were fed. And Abraham becomes the example. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you here. I think that the reason this story is in here is just because uh, at the time that this was written, the audience had still not been practicing hospitality. So who better to ask than Father Abraham, right? And he reacts in such a way that's amazing. And just it just seems like it's above and beyond, right? And these messengers, he knew from a distance that they were messengers, melech, which we translate into angels, from God. Now, here's the problem. You all live in the 21st century. We've had a lot of bad apples that have ruined that for us. If a stranger came up to us on the street and said, please... I've been walking along I-35 for two whole days, and I haven't had a place to sleep or a good hot meal to eat in two whole days. Uh, is there anything that you can do for me? The very first thing we do is what? We typically walk away. And then the next version that we have is we feel guilty. Almost 98% of the time, we put up suspicion. And fear. And, and I'm not telling you that, folks, that you leave here today and you go and start pulling up strangers off the side of the street and say, hey, come over to my house, I'm going to cook you a meal. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, but I, I'm, I'm saying that in the culture that we live in today, it's as scary to us today as it was to them back then. It's... It's like, this should work, but it doesn't. So why doesn't it work, is the question that Abraham is bringing to us. How do we provide a welcoming place for guests and strangers? It's our job. <coughs> for all of us. Not just a few of the friendly folks in our congregation. Do you remember uh, uh, Karen Demery and I were talking about this last week? Because we're going to start having greeters again, right? And, and uh, when I was growing up, 
those are the most extroverted people of all time, right? You, you walk into the door, and I'm a, and you all know this, but it's kind of hard to believe. <coughs> I'm an introverted person. The only reason it's okay for me to preach is, is I'm up here, and you're all in the very back rows. Um, because in just like every other single church that I've ever served, very, very, very few people ever fill up the first four rows. I think it's more because they're afraid of the spittle that comes out of preachers' mouths, depending on the sermons. That's what I like to tell myself. But the truth is, is most people sit in the very back of the sanctuary so that they don't have to be pointed at. And they can, be, uh, they can sleep and the preacher doesn't notice. But I'm not bitter. I'm moving on. But your greeters, for those people that as you walked in the door, they're like, Hi! We're so happy to see you! And people like me are like, thanks. Here's your bulletin. We want you to fill out the guest register. We want to give you free cookies. And I'm like, I'm not giving you my address. I don't want you to come to my home. If you give us your phone number, we'll call you. I'm not giving you my phone number. I don't want you to call me. But the greeters have this beautiful effect, right? They... They welcome you into the place because they're so excited to see new faces. And people like me are like, it's so good to have people like you, but I'm still going to sit in the back pews any chance that I can. Notice that Abraham evidently is this person. <gasps> there are three strangers in our midst. Let's go get them. And then Sarah has the response. What does she do? She hides inside the tent. But the problem with this story is, is it's challenging the people that are hearing it to not be just like Sarah and not just be like Abraham, but to be both. All of us should be that friendly voice. We should be opening our doors to all of God's people. This is why Jesus says you have to love your enemies. This is, this is a harder passage than we really want to admit. <coughs> it makes sense when Jesus, or when Paul talks about it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, not to neglect showing hospitality to strangers. Jesus himself does not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. <coughs> he feeds 5,000 people. It's the greatest fellowship dinner of all time. People come, they welcome each other, they share with one another, they extend hospitality. He does it so much that even on the Last Supper, what does he start the Last Supper with? He washes the disciples' feet in that upper room. And then introduces that meal. Something that we have carried on for millennia. This feast of fellowship that never ends. Now there's another part to this story. While Abraham is extending hospitality, Sarah is... Doing the work of the church. She's taking care of people. 
And honestly, it's supposed to be kind of a joke. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's not as funny for some of us, but it is for them that are hearing this. Like there's this part where the strangers slash angels think differently, where she says the word, uh, where the, the scripture says she laughs. The Hebrew word there is tzahak. The very word that becomes the name of Sarah and Mar uh, Abraham's miracle baby, Isaac. It's the root word of his name. God laughs. Isaac. <clears throat> but it's from God's, from that hospitality comes bold promises and future blessings. Walter Brueggemann, who is like the ultimate Hebrew Bible scholar, <clears throat> said that Abraham and Sarah have by this time become accustomed to their barrenness. I mean, they're in their 80s, in their upper 80s even. They are resigned to this idea of their closed future. But remember what God told Abraham and Sarah? Your ancestors will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. And the most important thing about that is that God doesn't break promises. And here is your example. The Melech say, oh, by the way, next time we see you in a year from now, you're going to have a baby. Now, let's think about this for a second. You're in your late 80s, early 90s. All of us are going to laugh. <laughs> I'm going to have what? No, I don't think so. Hence the phrase, right? The gospel promise, as Walter Brueggemann says, does not meet them in receptive hopefulness, but in resistant hopelessness. It's a chuckle, but it's more of a frustrated one. We have to answer and focus in on the overwhelming question that the Melech asked them. Is there really anything too hard for the Lord? I, I want you to ask yourself that question this week. Is there really anything too hard for the Lord? This comes as a question because the gospel requires a decision. If I truly believe that there is nothing too hard for the Lord, then I truly can do whatever God puts in front of me. But I have to do it by extending hospitality. I have to do it in such a way that honors God, not me. Augustine, St. Augustine said, Faith is believing what one cannot see, and the reward of faith is to see what one believes. Let me do that one again. Augustine says, faith is believing what one cannot see. And the reward of faith is to see what one believes. We know the rest of the story. At the time, Abraham and Sarah are living their lives. They're living it fully. They're trying to find and welcome people into I was trying to be funny with my sermon title, like, would you like smoking or non-smoking? Like the restaurants we used to go to 
which it didn't really matter. If they asked you if it was smoking or non-smoking, it really was just all smoking. They just weren't smoking right next to you, right? Think of it like going into a restaurant and welcoming people in and just say, hi, it's so glad to have you. Let me feed you from the bottom of my heart. That's what the ministry of God in the name of Jesus Christ is about. It's our opportunity to welcome people that we come across as strangers and those that we know in our midst. That when they come to this place of sanctuary, that they're allowed to feel safe and comfortable in their own skin and be in a place of the divine and listen for God's voice. And sometimes that includes laughter and sometimes tears. However you find yourself, hospitality is a virtue and a crucial mark of Christian discipleship. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>